it has already begun. You can see them creeping up ever so slightly, and yet they are there. You don't have to look very far to see them. In fact, it's a little bit earlier this year than I perhaps have seen it in the past, but they are there. The ads for Black Friday. The day after Thanksgiving when everyone is supposed to go out and start shopping to get these great deals. The, the car commercials are the worst, right? You come out, buy a new car. Wouldn't that be a great Christmas gift? I, I don't know anyone that's purchased a car as a Christmas gift. How do you do that, by the way? Especially if you sign a note and then you go tell your wife, uh, look, honey, at this brand new car we just bought. I mean, how does that conversation really go? But they're there. And as Americans, we love to go shopping. But what are we doing to ourselves when we do those types of things? Americans will lean heavily on their plastic in the next few weeks to give their kiddos everything they could ever want and spend the next eight months paying for it. Is that really a healthy thing for us to do? Is this an issue of the heart? that as Christians and as Americans, we need to struggle with, or we do struggle with. This morning, as we think about giving thanks to God, I want to challenge you to think about how, as Christians, do we express to God our thankfulness by our contentment that we have for the things that He has blessed us with, as opposed to diving into the pattern of the world and just trying to get as much as we can get. This morning we're going to look at several passages that talk about the issues of contentment and thankfulness. And I want us to think about what that means for us as Christians. How should we behave as Christians? Is this, first of all, an issue of a heart? How can parents use this as a training in the lives of our children? And how, what can we do with contentment? So if you have your Bibles with you, please be turning to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to start out by thinking about whether or not this is an issue of the heart. That is to say, going out and going in debt in order to get more and more things. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Notice the context. Paul here is talking about how as Christians we need to live differently from the world. We have put aside the old self and we're putting on the new self. And notice what he says, Colossians 3 verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And so Paul here talks about several things, but the thing that we want to focus in on this morning is this idea of greed. He says greed is equivalent to idolatry. Have you ever considered that? That greed is the equivalent to idolatry. Now, I guess we have to... First start by thinking about what is greed. 
Greed is the idea of taking more than you can use just so you can have it. Greed is not taking what God has blessed you with and being satisfied with that. Greed is not the idea of maybe God's created you uh, to have the ability to create wealth. There are folks that are really good at making money. And that's okay. But greed is the idea that you're almost hoarding things. You want more and more. And the idea is that you think that your identity or your self-worth or, or your security is tied up in having more and more. And at first glance, you might say, well, you know, that's not really what we deal with here. But I challenge us, especially as American Christians, to think about, are we ever in danger of falling into that boat, of just having more and more, and having our security in having more and more? Is there ever a time when we place our faith for our future well-being in the accumulation of things? Rich folks and poor folks both have their status symbols. It used to be Air Jordans. $100, I remember Air Jordans came out there, $100. And people thought, ah, $100 for a pair of tennis shoes. Now it's hard to find tennis shoes that don't cost an arm and a leg. But I remember when Air Jordans first came out, you would see people that you would expect to not have a whole lot, and they would have Air Jordans because it was a status symbol. You ever seen those guys walking down the street and they've got their shirt kind of unbuttoned a little bit? They got the gold medallion hanging down. For some folks, <laughs> for some folks, that's a status symbol, right? Uh, there are status symbols all around us. And, and people think that by having that symbol of their status, they have a certain amount of social security or social status. Look at what this person has. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a rich guy or a poor guy. We all have those depending on what our social network is. And when we get sucked into the temptation of having things because we think that's going to create our status or establish our status, we might be encroaching on that idea of greed, having things just to have them, having things because we're putting our security in those things. So we need to be careful of that as Christians. We learned that to have happiness, we must have the latest and greatest thing. This morning, someone was talking to me about their iPhone. They have an older iPhone, and they can't get all the same texts. They can't use all the same uh, emojis on their phone as someone with a newer phone has uh, because those emojis uh, don't come across the right way. You know, there are some people that, I don't want to step on any toes too hard here. Now, I don't know everybody here in terms of what phone they have. But the iPhone 10 just came out. $1,000 for a phone. And you see on the news these people that have been standing on the street corner or sleeping next to a store for two days so they can be the first in line to get an iPhone. There are some people, they've got to have the latest and greatest gadget whenever it comes out. 
And we've got to be careful that we're not too judgmental because I, I remember growing up, my dad said, Ronnie, uh, don't call me Ronnie, but he'd say, Ronnie, uh, there are, it doesn't matter whether you're a rich guy or a poor guy, everybody has their thing. For some guys, their thing is fishing. For some guys, their thing is boats. For some guys, their thing is guns. For some guys, their thing is sports. You know, there, there are guys, everybody has their thing that they're really into. And for some people, they've got to have the latest of whatever it is. That's, again, it's kind of like that's, that status symbol. Oh, look what I have. I must be complete. I must be on the upper echelon of my peer group if I've got this latest thing. And when we start to put our security and our trust in those things, that's when our greed begins to transition from just having desire, being content in being cared for by God, to now I am placing my trust in things. And that's why Paul says it's idolatry. Because the ancients would do the same thing, or a very similar thing. You see, for the ancients, they would have these idols. And a lot of times we think idols, and we think about someone going over, and they're worshiping a statue, and that's our idea of idolatry, and that's certainly a part of it. But for the ancients, what they believed was, behind that statue, there was a deity in some cause, part of the cosmos, that controlled part of the cosmos. And if you just worship that deity, and you were able to please that deity in some way, then that deity was going to turn around and bless you. It was kind of a quid pro quo type of relationship. That's how many of the ancients saw their relationship with these deities. And that's why in some cultures you might have multiple deities that people would worship, multiple idols that they would worship because, you know, it's time to grow the crops. I'm going to go and I'm going to give an offering or a sacrifice to the deity so that that deity will bless me. That's why we see some grotesque things like in the worship of Moloch, people would sacrifice their children. Because I thought if I can give the blood of my child, certainly Moloch is going to see how important this is to me and he's going to bless me with a better crop. And they put their trust of their well-being in the worship of those deities. And when we look and we put our trust in things that we have, thinking this is going to give me standing socially or this is going to uh, protect me financially, that's when we start to move into that area of greed. And that's what gets us in trouble. How different is that from the Israelites? Or how different is the greed of today with that of the Israelites when they were tempted to worship Baal and Ishtar and others. Consider the words of the Hebrew writer as we look in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. The Hebrew writer reminds us that as Christians, we need to be content and to place our trust in God. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
what will man do to me? The Hebrew writer says, look, as Christians, we need to make sure that our character is free from the love of money and be content with what we have. Now, notice the Hebrew writer does not say having money is a sin. Again, God blesses folks, some folks with the ability to create wealth. God blesses some folks with the uh, mental ability to have an occupation that just makes more money than some other folks do. That person doesn't need to be ashamed of that. That person doesn't need to be afraid of having those blessings from God. But sometimes I can look at that person and say, you know what, why does, why does that guy over there get to have all these things? Why does this guy over here get to have a job that gives him that much money? And pretty soon, my lack of contentment, my lack of appreciation of what God has given me begins to create in me a spirit of jealousy and envy and sometimes even hatred for that person over there. Meanwhile, I don't see the guy over here who's looking at me from this position saying, why does God give that guy all those things? As Americans, compared to the rest of the world, we're the guy way over here that has it made in the shade. And we forget these folks over here. And we're too busy looking amongst ourselves and saying, oh, this guy's an engineer for Lockheed, and he's making X amount of dollars. That's no fair. This here, and, and we can get sucked into that. And sometimes we are the person that God has blessed with the ability to make a lot of money, and we just really focus in on what we have, and we want more, and we want more, and we crave more. Hebrew writer says, be careful that your character is free from the love of money, the desire to have more. And he says, be content. No. He, he says, look, know that God has said, I will never desert you or forsake you. God is always going to take care of us. As we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us and then some. You see, there are times when I forsake God in my life. There are times in my life when I turn away from God and I cave in to temptation or I, uh, I succumb to, to pressure uh, to do different things, I suppose, and, and we're all there in that boat. But you see, God is not unfaithful to his people. And he has said, I'll never forsake you. I'm always going to make sure that you have what you need. may not necessarily always be what I want. I'm reminded of B.B. King. He used to sing the song, I gave you a steak dinner. And he said, thanks for the snack. I gave you a Pontiac and you asked for a Cadillac. Sometimes that's our attitude, right? Sometimes you have to drive a Pontiac. It's okay. You know? We need to be glad that God blesses us and take care, takes care of us and, and know that he provides for us. But you see, when we have a love for things and a love for money, sometimes we no longer have that contentment. God wants us to be content. We need to be thankful. When was the last time you went shopping with your kids? And everywhere you went, they said, oh, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And no matter what you give them, they just want more. How do you feel as a parent or a grandparent in that situation? Does it frustrate you? 
Does it make you feel a little underappreciated? Yeah. It certainly can. Every child needs to have read to them the Berenstain Bears. The Berenstain Bears get the Guinness. It's all about these little, little creatures that, that uh, they just want more. They go through the store, and every time they see something, they say, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. Well, finally, they're just acting so ugly. They're out in the parking lot causing a temper tantrum because they want more. Do we ever act that way with God? God, you gave me a nice house. It's secure. It keeps me safe. It keeps me warm. But I wanted the bigger house with the swimming pool and the jacuzzi and, uh, you know, the five-car garage and all these things inside of it. And we're not content with the fact that God has given us a secure place to live. And so sometimes we fall into that trap of saying, this is what the rest of the world says is success. And we forget to be content and to be thankful to God. This is the month of Thanksgiving. And we ought to be thankful to God. God, look what you have given me. You have blessed me in so many ways. Sometimes it's good for us to stop and take notice of what God has blessed us with. Sometimes we sing the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. When I was a kid, a teenager in Washington State, the song leader there sang that song, it seemed like every couple of weeks. It's one of those songs that you sang and sang and sang. But it's a true song. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and you will see what God has done. Sometimes we get in a position where we tell ourselves, my life is lousy, I wish I had this, I wish I had this. But you see, as Christians, when we are content and we're giving thanks to God, and we sit down and we count our blessings, pretty soon we notice, you know what? I actually have it pretty good. And I can be thankful to God. Part of contentment is being thankful for what you have. And so Paul says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, look guys, when you are greedy... That amounts to idolatry because you're placing your faith in things rather than in God. Our country, thank God, literally, I think is coming out of a period of economic crisis. More and more people are going back to work. More and more people are going to work that... It's substantial work, not part-time jobs. Those things are good. We have industry uh, starting to restart in our country. And some of you have heard me talk of this before. But what really created our financial crisis a few years ago? It was from people who wanted to have a bigger, fancier home. So they would get loans that they really couldn't afford. And the bank would say, you know what, for the first couple of years, we're going to have this really low interest rate for you. And you don't really need to pay attention to what's coming down the road when that balloons in later years with the interest. And so people were able to buy homes that they normally otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. But you see, as consumers of homes, we said, I want the bigger, best home. I want all the upgrades. And the bank said, hey, if you'll pay me this outrageous interest, I'll be happy to give you that money. 
And as long as things were going up, 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 people were fine. They could always refinance. And other banks were willing to say, hey, you take those bad loans that you made, and we'll buy those, and we'll be able to have more interest and collect that better interest. We'll make tons of money. And as soon as housing prices started to slump, all those loans became toxic. It wasn't the greed of the banks. It was the greed of the folks that said, let me buy a home I can't really afford. The greed went all the way around. And it created an economic disaster for our country. And so greed is a bad thing, but we ought to rather be thankful to God for what he has given us. Let's look at what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. As Paul writes to the young evangelist, he says, uh, beginning in, in verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll back up, look at verse 6. Chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we not, cannot take anything out either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish, harmful desires which plunge men into run, ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says, look, Timothy, there are going to be guys that preach the gospel, and they're preaching the gospel because they think they're going to be able to get all these riches. He says, you know what? There is a lot of riches that come out of preaching and knowing God's word and living a godly life. But those folks that are just in it because they think they're going to be able to, to swindle folks and get great riches out of that, they're in for a big surprise. And he says, Timothy, when Christians are content with what God's blessed them with, and they're free from the love of money, and they live that way, that's when they avoid the troubles. Because troubles come when we start to have a love of money, because that love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's when we begin backbiting. That's when we begin with selfishness. That's when we begin with uh, jealousy and envy and stealing and defrauding and lying and all sorts of evils. The love of money. Not having money, but the love of money. As we celebrate this period, this time of thanksgiving, we ought to approach it with an attitude that says, look what God has blessed us with. Look how we can use what God has given us to do great things for his name. Look at how we are able to survive and flourish because what God has given us. We don't need to put our trust in things. We don't need to put how, uh, our, our social status based on what people see that we have. We can be content with what we have and let people see us for our hearts, for the way that we serve, and the way that we love, not based on the things that are in our rooms, in our houses, in our driveways, in the phones in our back pocket. 
as Christians, we need to teach our children financial responsibility. We need to teach our children what it is to live with thanksgiving in our hearts and to be content with the blessings that God has given us. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, uh, children, obey your parents. And then he says in verse 4, he says, fathers, bring your children up in the admonition and the training of the Lord. Part of that is teaching our children the art of contentment and the art of thanksgiving and being thankful for what we have. And there are ways that as parents we ought to do that and, and we can do that. We have an opportunity to change a perception, not globally necessarily, but within our families. Remind our families that God takes care of us. We may not have all of our wants, but we do have all our needs. You go to the state fair and you go through those barns and, or buildings and you see the cars and you look at a pickup truck that costs more than your salary. Man, this is, this is a really cool truck. This isn't really a truck. It looks like a truck, but it has more gadgets than James Bond. Not really. But you, you know what I'm saying. And, and there are some people that will go so far in debt just to have the latest and greatest thing. It's okay to have a desire, I, I suppose, to want to... Uh, better your life and to use what God has given you, but some people will go so far to get what they want. We need to teach our children that God takes care of us. He gives us what we need, not necessarily all of our wants. And so make it a goal to help your kids understand what it is to be content by sitting down with them and, and making parameters, maybe for your holiday season. Yes, we could spend X number of dollars and put that all on plastic, and get you every little thing that you want. But that's not really what God wants us to do. Determine with your spouse the amount of, of your budget that you set aside for gift giving without debt. If your children are old enough, do so. Do that same thing, but spend time with them discussing how to prepare a budget and how to live within that budget. To prioritize their gift requests. And after gifts are exchanged, be sure to thank God for the blessings He has provided your family and how you are not strapped as the new year comes around the corner. What can we do with contentment? Rather than constantly trying to dig out, we're able to plan for the future. Things like retirement. Is it wrong to look at the gifts that God has given you? And to say, you know what, God has given me this surplus. And I know that the life expectancy for people today is in their 70s or maybe their 80s. And there are lots of people living in their 90s. It's okay for me to say, you know what, if I'm going to live 30 years after I retire, it's going to take me a couple bucks. And I'm going to look at the blessings that God has given me as a way that God has said, I'm caring for you. Sometimes God blesses us with great wealth, and, and with that great wealth, I'm able to take care of the special needs that other people have, like being able to go to the grocery store and buy extra Thanksgiving food so I can make a box for someone who doesn't have as much as I have. That's contentment. That's thankfulness. That's rejoicing in what God has given us. We can help others, and by doing so, 
be a blessing to others. I want you to notice one last passage, Philippians chapter 4. As church, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he's able to rejoice because they have given, and in their giving, they provided Paul with what he needs. Notice Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity in every and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going in, of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. For you yourselves know also, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left to Macedonia, no church with, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for all my needs. <coughs> when God blesses us with a surplus, we're able to rejoice and help others when they have need. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that it's wrong to have money. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that it's wrong to be wealthy. But it's that love of wealth. It's the love of things that gets us in trouble because we're depending on things and not God. As we celebrate this month and we give thanks to God, let us give thanks with cheerful hearts, knowing that everything we have is a gift from God. And we can be grateful for those gifts. And we can be content in what God has given us, knowing that he takes care of our needs. And because of that, we are cared for. If you're here this morning, you need to give thanks to God. If you have requests that you need to be 